Well, this morning I want to really, I think, wrap up the topic this time. I thought I was last week. I shouldn't say things like that maybe, uh, that I'm going to wrap up a particular topic of discussion. But we've been talking about life's choices and the thousands of choices we make on a regular basis and how so many of them are morally neutral choices that are good, better, and best. Uh, most of them are not heaven and hell type choices. Most of them are just living choices in life. And, and if we want to live the best life, then we need to make the best choices. Uh, we don't live our best life by making good choices or by making better choices. We make the best choices if we want to live the best life. And um, so we've been speaking about that over the last number of weeks, and it's been a very eye-opening yet basic style of teaching. It's been very common sense oriented with a lot of scripture because God's scripture is common sense for the most part until you get to faith, then it blows you away. So don't even try to understand faith uh, because you can't. But, um, but common sense in living, common sense in choices are very important. And today I really felt that it was done until I started to pray over the week and the Lord said, you know, there's one more choice you haven't spoken above and that's the most important one. And that's what we want to talk about today. And the most important choice is love. And I really believe that love is more of a choice than a feeling. And I hopefully by the time we get done today, we'll feel that and we'll understand that. That we'll know that love is more a choice than it is an emotion. So I pray that that gets done. Father, we ask you in Jesus' name to be with us today. Lord, I pray that you would just clear my heart and my mind right now to just say the words that you would want me to speak, and I pray that the hearts would be open to hear the words that you want them to hear, not necessarily mine, but the ones you want them to hear. I pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. There's a close relationship between choice and love, and we really want to focus on that today, because what I love is what I choose. And sometimes we get emotions too prevalent sometimes in our love and, and, and maybe our emotion drives too strong and we don't make the wisest choices because we're not using our, our thinker, we're using just our emotion feeler and sometimes we get in trouble. And so I want to talk this morning about that and I want to go back through some scriptures and I want to understand really what love is. I gave you a handout. We're going to try to go through it the best we can, and hopefully maybe you can answer some of the questions in that as well. But, but I want to start out, first of all, that knowing what Jesus' thoughts were on love and uh, what his position on that was. We see that in Mark chapter 2, or I'm sorry, Mark chapter 12, and this is one of the accounts in the gospel um, that Jesus spoke this, these words. And he said, beginning at verse 28 of chapter 12, one of the teachers of the law came and heard them debating Noticing that Jesus had given them a good answer, he asked him, of all the commandments, which is the most important? In other words, which is the best answer, Jesus? You've given us a bunch of good ones. Now give us the best. What's the most important one? Jesus says in verse 29, the most important one, answered Jesus, is this. Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God and the Lord is one. Love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your mind and with all your strength. And the second is this, love your neighbor as yourself. There is no greater commandment than these. Jesus couldn't stop with one. He had to blend the second one in there too because it's so important. Once we get the vertical relationship set up with him, that the horizontal just springs natural roots 
Natural arms come out. When I have my relationship with God established, then my love for others just can't help but come out. So Jesus was talking about that, and, and, and he gave them the answer. So love, love is the most important thing we can do, is to love God first with our whole being, not with part of our being, not with part of our intellect, not with part of our energy, not with part of our soul, not with part of our, our body, everything. He wants everything wrapped up in this thing called love. But what is love? What does it look like? How do we do love? How do we do this? My, my premise today is that love is a choice. Love is a choice to do what? That's what we're going to talk about today. Society, unfortunately, has ruined the word love. I mean, think about it. I, I go to Coney Joe's and I say, I love Coney dogs. I love them. But then the same word I say, my wife, Chris, I love you. Jesus, I love you. Well, wait, I thought you loved Coney dogs. I mean, do I really love a Coney dog the same way that I love Jesus? You see, you see how, we've, how that word love has just come down to be such a commonplace word that we don't even understand the significance what love really is because we use it so cheaply. We use it so easily. It just comes out without ever really understanding the significance or the meaning of it. And so therefore, I believe in many ways that, that the enemies behind that... The enemy is behind that, that ruining such a beautiful four-letter word called love. Because that's, after all, what God is. God is love. So if the enemy can confuse us what love is, then he's confusing us who God is. Is God a coney dog? No. No, but I love coney dogs. But I love Jesus more than I love coney dogs. Is love an emotion? Let's, let's look at that for a minute. Love certainly has an emotional component just like hate, or happiness, or depression, or complacency has an emotional component. So we can't take the emotion out of the word love. We can't, we can't remove it. But yet none of these are 100% emotional. There's always an, a non-emotional, fact-based part of depression, of hate, of complacency, of love. There's a combination of emotion and, and facts, emotion and choices that allow us or keep us in that same state of being that we're in based upon what our emotion is at that particular moment. See, emotion may be the first immediate reaction to something that creates or, or puts me in that state of feeling. I, certainly emotion is there, but after the initial shock value of it wears off, I have to have that thing called choice to come in to keep me in that position of state of being or in my attitude there. If, if, I, if I don't have that level of choice as a balancer, then life becomes a roller coaster. Then I'm, I, I'm loving all the time or I'm hating all the time. And, and whenever my feelings go, my life goes. How many people have been around people like that? How many people are people like that? <laughs> How many want to be that? How many don't want to be that? I mean, I, I'm, I'm glad nobody raised their hands because uh, we probably would all raise them three or four times there. See, the element of choice 
is an important part of loving and of doing and of being because in some ways choice becomes the emotional storage tank, if you will. I, I, I charge up my tank, my emotional tank with my emotions and then choice comes in to, keep, to turn the valve on when I need that tank to flow out a little bit because the happiness is gone. That the happenstance that makes me happy is gone. If, if I live 100% by emotions, if I'm 100% happy in my emotional being, then I have to continually be motivated or stimulated with happiness. Or else, as soon as it's gone, I lose my happiness and I become unhappy and I become miserable and I become grumpy and I become a, a bad person to be around. Therefore, this choice thing comes in and that's the storage tank of happiness. I've stored up a little happiness in this thing called choice a little bit. So now when the happenstance comes away, the choice kicks in and says, no, I'm going to choose to be happy even though I don't feel like being happy right now. A person is a happy person when he has a combination of good things happening to him and he chooses to be happy. See, if happiness was 100% emotion, then as soon as that happenstance leaves, I'm a miserable person. How many people do you know that seemingly have everything to be happy, yet aren't? Huh? They have everything. There's no reason why they're not happy. But yet, they're miserable people to be around. A person is a sad person when he has a combination of bad things happening to him, and he chooses to be sad. A person is an angry person when he has a combination of events happening to him, that make him angry and he chooses to be angry. How many here have seen the commercial on TV about Ford with that vehicle that gets good gas mileage and high performance? And it says, isn't it good to have and there? Because then they go into, wouldn't it be terrible to have sweet or sour chicken and make it not sweet and sour, sweet or sour, and you happen to get the sour chicken? Or the guy putting his pool together and he says, what are the bolts for? Nuts and bolts, not just nuts or bolts. You have to put them together. Love is combined of emotions and choices as they come together. And, and when we allow our choices to become the overemphasis point, we love our emotion to become more prevalent than our choices, then we have problems. See, what's the problem with making everything about our emotions or our feelings? What's the problem with that? Well, feelings are interesting little things. Because they're not easily controlled, they're not easily guided, and they're not easily commanded. A feeling is one of these inner senses that we really don't know where it comes from and where it goes. They're just there, and then all of a sudden they just go. I don't know where they come from, and I don't know where they go. A feeling is something I can't command. I can't command me to love. I can't command me to have a feeling of happiness. I can't command feelings. Actions, however, I can control. I can control an action. I can control a commitment. But I can't force my true feelings to feel differently than they do, at least not instantly. Maybe over time they'll change. If my attitude changes, if my actions change, then I will tell you that more than likely your feelings are going to change. But you can't command your feelings to change instantly. And maybe that's where the old saying comes from. It's just a matter of time or time heals all. 
I, I don't know. But, but actions are commandable. Feelings are not. I really can't command anything about my feelings. So it's interesting to know that. So what does love look like? If, if love is a, more of a choice than a feeling, then what does love look like? See, it's interesting when we look at how love looks as different than how love feels, I think we have a better understanding of what true love is. Because love looks various ways depending on my feelings. If I was 100% feelings-based, then I really can't be biblical. Truly, understand that. Because, you know, even God can't command my feelings. Even, even He can't command me to feel a certain way. But He can command me to act a certain way. He can command my choices. That's why I believe that love has to be more to us than just a feeling. Love has to be an element of choice. Otherwise, we can't even be godly because God says some things about love and about choices. Let's read some of those. Deuteronomy chapter 11, verse 1, it says, Love the Lord your God and keep his, command, keep his requirements, his decrees, his laws, and his commands always. Love the Lord and keep his requirements. Deuteronomy chapter 11, verse 13. So if you faithfully obey the commands I'm giving you today to love the Lord your God and to serve him with all your heart, with all your soul, then if you read that rest of that chapter, chapter it gives all the blessings that come along with that. Psalm 119, 167. I obey your statutes, for I love them greatly. John 14, 23 and 24. Jesus replied, anyone who loves me will obey my teaching my Father will love them, and we will come to them and make our home with them. Anyone who does not love me will not obey me. Pretty basic. First Peter 1.22 Now that you have purified yourselves by, opening, by obeying the truth, so that you have sincere love for each other, love one another deeply from the heart. See, I think that... To, that let's, let's play a little word game here. Let's go back to those same scriptures right now. And I think we can do this without violating any scriptural mandates here. So just work with me a little bit, okay? Let's go back here in these scriptures and let's replace the word love with choice or choosing or a derivative of that word. So in other words, let's go back to the first, first passage, Deuteronomy chapter 11, verse 1. It says, love the Lord. Let's say, choose the Lord your God and keep his requirements, his decrees, his laws and, and commands always. Choose Him. Let's go to the next verse. So if you faithfully obey the commands I'm giving you today to choose the Lord, your God, and to serve Him with all your heart and with all your soul, then all the blessings will come along with that. Psalm 119, I obey your statutes, for I choose them greatly. Then John 14, Jesus replied, Anyone who chooses me will obey my teaching. My Father will choose them. And we will come to them and make our home with them. Anyone who does not choose me will not obey my teaching. And then finally, the, the passage in Peter, now that you have purified yourselves by, vain, by obeying the truth so that you have sincere choice for each other, choose one another deeply from the heart. You see how when we take the word love that is misconstrued so many ways, misunderstood in so many ways, and when I replace that with the word of cho choosing, all of a sudden I can relate to that more. 
I can relate to the word choice better than I can love. So I'm learning more and more how, how to love Jesus by telling myself that I choose Jesus today to be my center point. That I choose to obey his commands. That I choose to listen to his voice to give me guidance for the day. And as I teach myself to do this more and more, my love, my emotional being lines up more with him because I'm choosing him over myself or over the world. So how do we do love? That's kind of what it looks like. Now, how do we do it? Let me give you a real-life example here. Let's talk about choices in a marriage example. All right, now... When you start dating, you fall in love during your dating or courting years, but basically that's 100% emotion, all right? You, you, you fall in love at the first sight. You see the knight in shining armor, or you see the princess that you are just looking in the eyes. And he's seeing it right now. I, I, I know that Ty's seeing it. I know it. He's looking at me like, I see it, man. He knows. He knows, but you, you look at that girl or that guy across the room and all of a sudden the, the, the hormones, the, 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 the emotions start raging and, and you think, man, that guy is cool. Or that, that, she's hot and, and I want to spend my life with her. And all of a sudden we, we find love starting to grow in the feelings that come. Really, we don't have a choice in the matter. I mean, you can't stop that. When it starts to happen, you can't stop it. It, it just starts to grow like a... Like a like a volcano. And all of a sudden, you're just erupting with passion. Boy, is that dangerous. Why does God waste it on the young? <laughs> when you can't use it. <laughs> when you get to be my age, I need it, I don't have it. All right, we better get back to basics here. So the process of love starts to grow when I really can't even control it. It just happens. Now, this is where hopefully you have a godly parent in your life or someone that will come alongside you to bring a little um, thinking to that emotion. Bring a little uh, practical life experiences into that emotion so that hopefully we can be, you can be guided in that a little bit. Because, you know, the Bible is very clear about who we hook our life up to. 2 Corinthians chapter 6, verse 14 and 15, it says, Do not be yoked together with unbelievers. For what do righteousness and wickedness have in common? Or what fellowship can light have with darkness? What harmony is there between Christ and Belial? Or what does a believer have in common with an unbeliever? So here we have the danger of the passion growing. And if someone isn't guiding you to good, godly people, what's going to happen? What's going to happen, do you think? And what has happened? Why do you think we have divorce rates of 50% and more? Because we haven't been yoked together equally at the beginning. Because our emotions have overrun our thinker. And because we've just let that come up and all of a sudden we're not even concerned anymore about what they believe because we're so in love with them. We're so infatuated with them. I love Coney Dogs. <laughs> All right. So the process here then of 
Godly dating, godly courting is so absolutely important that, that, we, that we get ourselves down the right path. Now, now you've chosen him. And here's you know an interesting tidbit. Let me just show you a tidbit. We think we can control so much in life. Do you know that the only thing you can control in your family is who you marry? I didn't choose my parents. I didn't choose my siblings. I didn't choose anything about my family. I only chose my wife. Now, let's think about it a little bit further. Once that happens, I can't choose my children. I didn't choose how many children I've had. I didn't choose if they're a male or female. I didn't choose who they were. I didn't choose their characteristics. I didn't choose anything about them. The only choice I had is who I married. Now, does that make that important to you or not? Do you know now why God says do not be yoked with unbelievers? Because that's the only choice you have. Everything else is out of your control. Important, isn't it? But yet we don't think it that way because we think love. All I need is love. All I need is love. And the air that I breathe and all the other nonsense. I'm glad I don't sing. But for those that have been married for a while, how, what's the progression here? Okay, now you've chosen. Now, here's the progression of love in a godly fashion, is that all of a sudden the emotions that we started this life off with, this marriage off with, all of a sudden it starts to morph into a thing called commitment. All of a sudden now, I, the choices or my feelings that I had for her or for him start to change into, they, they grow roots into a thing called commitment. For better, for worse. Remember that? Did anybody say that in your vows? All of a sudden, that commitment comes in, and now love really is blossoming. Because it's not about what I feel anymore. It's about what I choose. It's about I'm choosing to fulfill my commitments to my spouse. I'm choosing to obey the Lord's command when it says, Men, you shall leave your, your, your mothers and your fathers and cleave to your wife, and together the two of you will become one, and, and then you make a family. So there's a lot of um, growth in that area. Now let's talk about our relationship with Jesus a little bit. Young convert, you've just, just accepted Jesus into your heart. You, you've been coming out of a, a life of sin, and you have all the the baggage of sin, and, 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 you're, and you're bound down with so much, and, and all of a sudden you have that moment of forgiveness, and you just feel so light and so alive because Jesus has come into your life again. There's that emotion. There is that level of emotion that comes in and says, I'll do anything for the Lord. I'll, I'll, I'll save the world because I have so much love for Jesus right now. And then some nice mature saint will come along and say, well, when you settle down and grow up like us, you'll be better. You know how all of a sudden, where does that where does that emotion go? That emotion, where where do you have it? Do you have the first love? Do you and I have the first love for Jesus? Or rightly so, it needs to grow into it needs to morph as well into a thing called commitment, because my feelings for Jesus change. He doesn't change for me. His love never changes for me. We sang about it today. We felt his embrace of his love today. His love for me never changes. But I am in a constant state of change. My life is all screwed up most of the time. 
And so if I'm living by my feelings and my emotions all the time, then, then I don't even know how, how to love God until my love moves from feelings into commitments into the greatest choice. And the choice is to love God. So love, emotion, it has to be there. We have to have the emotion side of it. But let me give you another practical example for me. When I wake up in the morning, I'm finding myself doing this more and more. Because, you know, in all honesty, I don't really understand how to love God. I don't understand how to love a man. I mean, it's weird. I walk up to somebody, I walk up to Lawrence and say, Lawrence, I love you. Well, that's kind of weird. <laughs> I'm sorry. To me, it's just kind of weird for me to say that I love another man. So, so how do I really understand how do I love Jesus? I've never seen him. I've never spoken to him. But you know what helps me a lot in this? And I'm not trying to blow anybody's theology here. We're supposed to love Jesus. We are. Because of all the things he does for us. But here's how it helps me. I change the word love to choice. I wake up in the morning and I say, I choose you today, Jesus. I choose you today. I choose to obey your commands today. I choose to read your word today. I choose to pray to you. I choose to listen to you. I choose to do the things that please you today. I choose you. And when I start looking at my life as a life of choice, rather than a, love, a life of emotional, lovey, gushy feelings that I'm chasing all around anyways, all of a sudden my life becomes stabilized because I'm living a life of choice because I choose. I can command my choices. I can command my actions, but I can't command my feelings. So when my feelings go haywire on me, if I'm living by my feelings, then I'm haywire. But if I'm living by my choices, then I'm living by the word of God because I choose to obey. If you love me, then you'll obey me. If you choose me, then obey me. And all of a sudden, life just takes, it, 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 it kind of clarifies, it kind of, it's almost like the, the lid has been lifted and all of a sudden I can see things differently because it's my choice to love. It's my choice to honor God. And as I spend time choosing Jesus, my emotions come back in line. Jackie, would you come as we begin to conclude? As we begin to conclude. It, gives her, it takes her about ten minutes to get started, okay? <laughs> So I'm blaming it on Jackie. If I have long conclusions, I'm blaming it on Jackie because it takes her 10 minutes to get started. No, I won't let you. God. Okay. Man, don't bite the hand that feeds you. But I have one more perfect example for us in how we should allow our, our feelings and our commitments to come together. And I have to look at the most perfect example of anyone, and it's always Jesus, right? Let's look what Jesus did the last hours that he spent in the Garden of Gethsemane on the night of his betrayal. Luke chapter 22, verses 41 through 44. Jesus withdrew about a stone's throw beyond them. He knelt down and he prayed, Father, if you are willing, take this cup from me. Yet, not my will, but yours be done. An angel from heaven appeared to him and strengthened him. And, and being in anguish, he prayed more earnestly. And sweat was like drops of blood falling to the ground. This I see a perfect example of emotion and choices coming together in one of the biggest moments of time. 
Jesus was not motivated by his feelings here. If he would have been, we might have had a different outcome. Because did you read what it said? It says, Father, if you're willing, take this cup from me. See, Jesus didn't want to die this way. Would you want to die on a cross? Would you want to be scourged and whipped and beaten like he was beaten? No, see, his emotions welled up within him and he said, Father, if you will only take this from me. But yet, he said, not my will. Now, here's where choice kicked in. Not my will, Father, but your. I'm choosing you, God. I'm choosing you, Father. I'm choosing your plan for all these people that we love. And his element of choice kicks in and and then we know the rest of the story. But you know, there must have been a lot of passion. There must have been a lot of emotion for him to sweat blood. That's a lot of anguish, a lot of stress. I sweat easily, but I've never sweat blood. What better proof of true love did Jesus give us by obeying the Father, by his choice to love? See, if Jesus would have been me, like me that night in the garden, with the way that I quite often let my emotions rule my life, I'm not so sure he would have gone through with it if he would have been like me. Because I probably would have stopped when I saw the blood coming out of my skin. And I would have said, hey God, you required blood? Well, here it is, here it is right here. Isn't this enough? Isn't this enough? You, you said the shedding of blood was required. Look, I'm shedding blood. I'm, I'm so stressed out over this, God. I'm, shredding, I'm shedding blood. Isn't that enough? Can you just beam me up now? Can we go home? Can we call it done? Huh. Later in that passage, it says... He rose from prayer and went back to the disciples. He found them asleep, exhausted from sorrow. And he says, why are you sleeping? He asked them, get up and pray so that you will not fall into temptation. You know, it wasn't so much that Jesus needed their prayers that night. He was more concerned about them being able to withstand the temptations that were coming in their life. Again, perfect love. He wasn't saying, pray for me, guys. He wasn't saying, will you wake up and pray that I get delivered from this? Will you wake up and pray that that angels are going to come and deliver me? Will you wake up and pray for me? No, he said, will you wake up and pray so that you will not be overtaken by temptation? Do you see the love of that, Christ? Isn't that awesome? But yet I look at my life this morning and and I I have to ask myself my questions and and said, so, where am I this morning? Am I exhausted? I mean, would I have been like one of the disciples? Or am I like one of the disciples? I'm tired. I'm exhausted from the pressures of life as you are. And how often then do we find ourselves sleeping at the wheel? Sleeping rather than pressing in. See, Jesus instructed them to get up and pray. Get up. Get up, guys. Get up. Pray so that you don't fall into temptation, so that you will recognize the choices in your life that really matter.
and make the right ones. Now, there are some choices that are heaven and hell. There are choices that are really the big choices that we make, that we have to make right. There is a wrong answer and a right answer when it comes to what are you going to do now with this Jesus? What are you going to do with him? Are you going to allow him to be the sacrifice for you? Or are you going to reject him and make it your own? See, I think we need to learn how to choose the Lord like he chose to love us. Love, going back to the first scripture we read this morning, love the Lord, choose the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind, with all your strength. The second is this, love, or choose your neighbor as yourself. There is no greater commandment than these. So, what are your choices this morning? What are your choices this morning? Where are you standing when it comes to having all of the, the, the right things in life put in order? Are you there this morning? Are you making the right choice? Are you making the proper choices this morning? Are you choosing to listen to the Lord? I want to read Revelations, one more verse, because this kind of brings it home to us, I believe. Revelations chapter 2, verses 1 through 5. Listen as I read this. To the angel of the church in Ephesus write, These are the words of him who holds the seven stars in his right hand and walks among the seven golden lampstands. I know your deeds, your hard work, your perseverance. I know that you cannot tolerate wicked people that you have tested those who claim to be apostles but are not and have found them false. You have persevered and have endured hardships by name and have not grown weary. Wow, if we stopped right there, it would make me feel so puffed up, so good about myself because I've done all those things. But yet, verse 4, yet I hold this against you. You have forsaken the love you had at first. Consider how far you have fallen. Repent and do the things you did at first. If you do not repent, I will come to you and remove your lampstand from its place. Now, what is the first love the writer is talking about here? What is that first love? Yeah, passion for Christ. Passion, that first love, that, that first choice. Is Jesus, let me ask you this question, is Jesus the first priority in your life? Is he your first choice? Is he my first choice? Or have I learned to do all the things here that they're commended for? I have all the deeds, I have all the hard work, I have all the perseverance, I don't tolerate wicked people. I've persevered. I've endured hardships. I've done all that. But where is Jesus in my priorities? Where's my passion? Where's my emotion? Where are my choices? Now, wouldn't it be a shame to live a life like that? A hard life. That's a hard life, by the way. That, that life right there was not fun. That was not a fun church to be a part of. Wouldn't it be a shame to go through a church like that, a life like that, and still miss Jesus at the end of the day? Wouldn't it be a shame to get to heaven and Jesus say, I never knew you. Depart from me because I never knew you. Because why? Because I left my first love. 
I left my first choice. I left my priority. So this morning, what do you think about throughout your day? What do you think about throughout your, your choices? Are you thinking about all the things that you should be thinking about? What is my first choice? What was Christ's first choice? Are they the same? Are they close? Are, am I in the same ballpark? Or am I so far out in left field that I'm not even close to Christ's choices? Wow. Who's responsible for that? Who's responsible for that? Yeah. I'm not. I can only ask the questions, guys. I can only come in and raise the issue, but I cannot control your choices. I cannot control your emotions. So this morning as we close, really, the service now, would you close your eyes with me? Oh, thank you, Jesus. Would you just do a self-examination of your own heart this morning and uh, do a little, a little survey maybe of your choices over the past week? Have you been sleeping as the disciples were sleeping in Jesus' worst hour? I think the answer probably for most of us is yes. It is for me. I'll be honest with you here. I'm not perfect. I'm not claiming to be perfect here. I'm not claiming that. I'm just saying we all can do better. We all can be more Christ-like in our choices. Amen? So how do we do this? We determine by the power of the Holy Spirit not to repeat last week's mistakes. We determine not to be regretful over an opportunity lost. We determine to make the right choices. We determine to live right. We determine to be faithful. We determine. We choose. We commit. We don't let ourselves off because it's easy to do something else. No. No. That's living by our emotions. We commit because Jesus committed to us first. Amen. Dear Jesus, I just come before you and I ask you for your mercy and your grace. Because, Lord, I know how now these kind of messages can make us self-condemning. And now we can be so, we can be so hard on ourselves now that we can think, oh, well, we'll never be good enough. But I know that that's the enemy speaking. I know the enemy hears, hears messages like this. And I, I know what he does with this. I know what he does in my heart with it. I know what he does in my life. And I know what he does in others as well. He comes and he puts a good word and he makes it a hard word and he makes it a word I can't live with. But God, this is a word we all need to live with because it's your grace, it's your mercy, it's your power that we're depending upon. As we sang earlier, we're just all resting, we're depending on you, Jesus. So God, I pray that you would give us grace to forgive ourselves as we are asking to be forgiven. God, I pray that you would allow us to do better. Not as a way to earn your favor, but God, as a result of having your favor. As a result of being forgiven, that our life would be set apart and holy and committed. God, and with that, you'll look down and say, well done, I'm so proud, I'm so pleased. God, I pray your mercy and your grace. In Jesus' name. Amen.